Hello and welcome to the Every Action Counts podcast where we talk about the environmental issues and the little things you can do to make an impact. We're your co-hosts Shannon Wu and Venetia Patel. Today we'll be talking about the importance of bees. Today we are joined by Chris Gliwa, who is a senior at Princeton who is studying environmental engineering and policy. He is also the co-founder of the Princeton Bee Team and a suburban beekeeper. Welcome, Chris. Hi, thank you for having me. So we are a little new to the bee game. And how would you say you first got your start in bees? Absolutely. So, I mean, really to answer that, you have to go back 50, 60 years to Poland. Um, My dad uh, was actually a beekeeper when he was a young child um, back in Poland. And he sort of got lost uh, from the craft when he came to the United States. And it wasn't until about three years ago, three and a half years ago, um, that him and I started going to uh, beekeeping courses in the uh, Sussex County part of New Jersey. And we both got our beekeeping uh, licenses. And it really started off uh, as a small operation, two hives in our backyard. And for the last three and a half years, it's, it's grown to uh, over four hives in East Rutherford and four hives in Princeton. Wow. And we also mentioned that you were the co-founder of the Princeton Bee Team. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization? Of course. So what's really interesting about the Princeton Bee Team is that uh, while I say that I'm the co-founder, I'm the co-founder of the most recent iteration of it. So the Bee Team actually was started in around 2008 or 2009 by uh, then Princeton students who are now, I I think, in their... Uh, mid-30s, but it was started in 2008, and what was unfortunate about the bee team then was the beehives were located across campus that, uh, the part of campus that wasn't really accessible to students, and because of several different factors, a lack of resourcing, um, because the hives were so far away from the students, uh, over time the bee team, their membership dwindled, and uh, it sort of became extinct. And so when I joined Princeton as a first year student, uh, I was really interested in joining the B team only to realize that it didn't really exist at the moment. And so at the end of my first year, beginning my second year, uh, I made plans with the Office of Sustainability, with the groundskeepers to place uh, one hive back in the Princeton Forbes garden. And we sort of started this new project all over again. Wow, that's inspiring. So in terms of all the things that we want to cover today, our main points today will be how do hives operate in general and how does the practice of beekeeping work? We're also going to dive into the role of pollinators and their environmental importance. And then we're going to move into why is the bee population declining? And as always, what you can do about it. So Shannon, let's take it away. So how about we start talking about the different populations within a beehive? Can you tell us a bit about the different roles in the social classes? Absolutely. And I think this is one of the most fascinating things about beekeeping and just nature in general, how complex and nuanced a beehive actually is. So within a beehive, uh, and when I say beehive, I mean the uh, honeybee populations that humans themselves uh, sustain through beekeeping. Um, This sort of applies to um, wild bee species as well, but uh, in these contexts I'm referring to honeybees specifically. So in a hive, first and foremost you have the queen bee. Uh, This queen is very special because there's only one of them. She is the queen. And she actually sets the temperament for the entire hive. If the queen is uh, angsty and a little aggressive, the entire hive will be aggressive. If the queen is uh, calm and tranquil, then the entire hive will be calm and tranquil. And she really sets the tone for the whole hive from uh, the workers to the nurse bees, etc. What's also interesting about the queen is that she's the only bee that will lay eggs. So the way she does this is she mates with drone bees, which are another word for male bees, and she'll lay thousands of eggs um, 
over the course of her lifetime. And she's the only bee to do this. And to assist her, she has what's called worker bees. So these are the bees that you actually see uh, going out and foraging for uh, nectar, for honey, looking for new homes. Um, in the case of scout bees, and those are the bees you see flying around mostly. Uh, lastly, you have nurse bees that are the bees um, they're kind of like the homemakers and the babysitters, really. Uh, when the queen lays eggs and they grow into larvae and they're in the larval stage, they're taking care of uh, these specific nurse bees. And their entire purpose is to sustain uh, the hive's uh, larval population. Uh, and going back to what I said before, you also have the drone bees. Really, the only purpose of these drone bees are to reproduce. They are born into a hive, they fly out, they mate with another queen, and then they die. And that, that's basically the um, the top-down outline of what a hive looks like inside. Wow, who knew bees had such a complex social system? It's really fascinating. So, in terms of beekeeping, you've explained the roles, and in terms of the human population, why would a human decide to keep bees? Why would they want to start and what benefits does beekeeping have? That's a really good question. And you know, there's not one answer to that and it really depends on who you ask. So uh, my personal uh, sort of impetus for me personally is I'm a huge environmentalist. Um, you know, as you said before, I study in, uh, environmental engineering policy and I, I'm, I have a big green thumb. And so part of my contribution to helping out, you know, the planet and keeping this uh, world a green place is doing my part in beekeeping. Um, other people have uh, different reasonings for being beekeepers. My father, like I said, uh, he wanted to um, pursue an activity that he did as a child. Uh, farmers, people in more rural areas, they have bees uh, not only for their own business purposes, you know, to um, to go to cultivate uh, honey, pollen, different products, but they also um, sort of rent these bees out as pollinators. Like they'll actually go to different farms, set up beehives uh, in order to pollinate. So there, there are a lot of different reasons, um, ranging from know personal interest to uh profession but what you'll find amongst all beekeepers is a dedication to these animals and a, a greater dedication to the environment that's really cool so let's say someone wants to start beekeeping what are some materials that they would need what time would they have to put into starting becoming a beekeeper and what's like the average cost it takes to maintain and practice beekeeping that's also a very good question. Um, well, my father and I don't really do any sort of uh, bookkeeping, so I can't give you an exact number, but I can sort of give you estimates. Well, what you'll want to do first and foremost is get in uh, contact with your local beekeeping association. In New Jersey, uh, that'll be the New Jersey Beekeepers Association. If you go on their website, uh, there are county beekeepers associations as well. Uh, but the very first thing you want to do is get in contact with one of these associations uh, and take the courses necessary to get your, uh, I'm pretty sure it's called practicing license, um, basically your license to have bees. Because this isn't uh, an activity or a task that kind of take lightly, you know, it's not like video games where you can pick it up and put it down and then you're done with it. This is an activity that, you know, you have to be conscious of all year round. And so you wanna know the nuances and the uh, the sort of energy and time that goes into beekeeping and you wanna be cognizant of that. Um, as for the actual cost, when you first start your beehive, you're going to buy what's called a nuke. Uh, it's short for nucleus hive and that's basically uh, bare bones hive. It's uh, a queen. It's a few thousand worker bees and nurse bees. Um, and that's what you really, it's like the seeds to a plant. Um, and that itself, I think, costs uh, around $140. Uh, 
Um, but then the other expenses come uh, in the cost of actually uh, purchasing or even building your own hive, um, which takes a lot of wood in different frames, uh, the suits, the materials, the smoker. Um, and if you're going to extract honey, you need a sort of a centrifuge machine to spin the honey. So it does add up. Um, but like I said before, it's it, it's worth it in the long run for your environmental impact. So for someone that's starting out their own, starting to become a beekeeper, what advice would you give to them if they're interested in it? Uh, definitely don't be afraid to reach out to other beekeepers. Uh, the beekeeping uh, society, I should say, um, especially in New Jersey and all across the United States are made up of very friendly people and they want to help each other out. Um, and so if you don't know what to do or you're lost, or if you are, for example, if your hive is swarming for the first time and you don't know what to do, chances are if you reach out to a local beekeeper, they will absolutely help you and give you advice. So it's really, it's important to understand that you're not just one beekeeper and you're insulated from the whole world. You're a part of the greater network and community of beekeepers who want to help each other out. So you're not alone. Yeah, and I think a, good a community support system is so important when we take on such massive endeavors that affect so many different aspects of our lives. Absolutely. So here's a kind of odd question. If a queen of a colony were to die, what would happen to the colony? Okay, I love this question because there are a lot of things that could happen. So realistically, what does happen, um, if a queen dies, the beekeeper will notice um, because, you know, there won't be any eggs laid um, and, you know, the, the hive in general slows down. So what beekeepers normally do is they order a new queen. And as I said before, some beekeepers who are professional um, breeders, basically, they sell queens individually. So beekeepers, most of the time, just buy a new uh, queen bee, they cost around $30 to get in the mail, and they install the queen bee into the hive, and voila, you have a new queen. Um, if you want to go the natural route, what happens is the bees automatically understand that there's a lack of a queen, right? Well, so what happens after that is uh, you do have one caveat to uh, a statement I said earlier. I said that only the queen can lay eggs. Normally that's right, unless a queen dies. Then you have a worker bee who can lay eggs and will lay eggs only to create a new queen. So what happens is they create a few queen cells, maybe four or five. Uh, they lay eggs in every single one and they feed them what's called royal jelly. Uh, royal jelly is uh, a mixture of uh, different really nutritious ingredients, nutritious to the bees, of course, um, pollen, honey, uh, just very nutritious overall. And they grow these four or five uh, queen cells. And basically what happens is they're all growing at the same time and whichever one uh, comes out first becomes the queen and kills the other three, four queen cells. So it's really like a battle royale that it's whoever comes out first comes out on top. And in the case where two of them come out at the exact same time, well, then they fight to the death. Oh my. <laughs> That's extreme. <laughs> I have a question. So as a beekeeper, would you prefer to go to the natural route or would you just order a new queen? And there's a reason why beekeepers order new queens. It's because it's so quick. Um, like I said, it usually takes two days for it to come in the mail from um, the professional beekeeping breeder, whereas the natural route, quote unquote, uh, takes around 40 to 50 days. Wow. And, and, and so it, it, those losses really do add up, especially if you're uh, in the beekeeping business for profit those losses add up and you want to minimize those losses. And so, um, you know, you just, you cut down the time from 40, 60 days to two. 
Makes sense. Um, all right. So in terms of some of the misconceptions that people have about beekeeping and bees in general, would you say that there are like a top five or a top three misconceptions that really bug you as a beekeeper? Um, I don't have to think about that. Um, absolutely. So one thing that really gets on my nerves a little bit is when I see people, especially friends who know I'm a huge bee fanatic, um, who either swap bees or are just afraid of bees. Because these are really animals that you do not need to be afraid of. Unless you're provoking them, unless you're being outright aggressive towards bees, they will not do anything to you. And you can you can quote me on that, that they will not harm you if you do not provoke them. And I, I think it's the stigma of bees being dangerous that drives you know, environmental degradation because some people have the mindset, well, why do I want to save bees if they're dangerous? They're not dangerous unless, you know, you go into anaphylaxis and, you know, you can die from bee sting, then maybe you should, you know, stay away from them. But otherwise, if you're not going to have a deadly reaction to bees, there's no reason to be afraid of them. Absolutely none. Yeah, well, I, I remember that I had a rose plant and there would always be bees around them and my parents would always try spraying them down and I'd be like no 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 they'll be there to save the, save the plant and you know don't harm them so I think that really rings true for a lot of people that are deathly afraid of bees right and another thing I will add is that a lot of fear around bees comes from the fact that people can't tell apart bees from wasps from hornets ah. and that's 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 very key because um you know, they kind of look similar because they're small flying bugs. But if you look up pictures online, they look very different. Bees, they're s small, they're fuzzy. If if they could be human-sized, they'd be very cuddly. <laughs> wasps and hornets are very much not. You should be afraid of wasps and hornets because they can sting repeatedly and they could kill you after a few dozen stings. Those you should be afraid of. But you know, know your difference between your bees and your hornets and your wasps. Um, bees are your friends, hornets and wasps are not. Very simple. Good to know. So, Good to know. <laughs> so we were talking, you were talking a bit about how people are often scared of bees and we want to sort of change people's opinion on that. And by doing that, we want to explain a bit more about these roles in the population and their environmental importance. So what is the role of bees in the environment? I don't think I can even begin to explain the vastness of importance the bees pose to uh, agriculture and the environment in general. If, if we wanted to get so in-depth with it, we'd be here for the entire day because they are just that important. Um, I mean, just giving you basic uh, information statistics, according to the Obama White House, um, who produced a publication in 2014, bees are, are responsible for the pollination of at least 90 commercially grown crops in North America. And the this contributes to about 35% of global food production. And if you want to quantify that, um, pollinators in general uh, contribute to about $24 billion in United States agricultural business and honeybees alone account for $15 billion worth of that. So there's a huge environmental impact and huge economic impact that bees have. But going back to the figure I noted before, at least 90 commercially grown crops in North America. Just think about the amount of food you eat. You know, I, this is something that people aren't really cognizant of is when they eat something, they kind of think, okay, well, you know, it's bread, it's bread, it's, I'm eating a tomato, whatever. But they don't really think about the work that went into that. Not even like the human work, but the, in, the pollinator work as well. If you're eating something, it's more than likely, it's because of a bee, because of a bee pollinated it. And... Quite simply, if we didn't have bees or somehow something disastrous happened and 
uh, bees went extinct, we humans starve. That that's quite simple. That humanity would starve, and so it's it's kind of poetic in a sense that our existence and sustenance is contingent on the existence and uh, sustenance of this very important pollinator. And you know, if you if you want to put in economic terms, because some people like to think in economic terms, a decline, a precipitous decline in bee population or ex- hypothetical extinction would decimate the agricultural industry in the United States. It, it would absolutely decimate it. Um, not to mention, like I said before, mass starvation. So I, I can't really put together any words that can accurately describe just how important they are to us. Wow. Just taken aback by how much we underestimate the amount of work they do for us and we don't even appreciate that for the most part. Oh, absolutely. So if we think about bees and when we think of pollinators, typically bees come to mind, but why are bees such great pollinators compared to other species that are pollinators as well? That's a good question. And I think it's a combination of uh, several different um, qualities that bees have. First and foremost, they're very industrious, um, really hard workers, if you think about it. I mean, in a hive, you can have anywhere from 40 to 70,000 bees, and a majority of them, the worker bees, are spending basically their whole day and their whole lifetimes going out and foraging for food foraging for 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 nectar and for pollen and you know it's just they don't leave the hive thinking well i'm gonna go pollinate some plants it's really inadvertent um and the reason why they're so good at it is because they're naturally attracted to uh flowers and uh, blooming plants that have high nectar and pollen contents and like i said before Bees are fat, they're fuzzy, they have a lot of fur, and what gets trapped on that fur is pollen. Even if you look up a picture of bee covered in pollen, you'll see just how much pollen they accumulate on themselves. And when they fly from plant to plant, continuing to look for for nectar and for pollen, they rub off on a plant um, just so, I don't even know the word for it. They're just so efficient and so effective because they're looking to sustain their own hive through nectar and pollen. And by going plant to plant, they're doing the work that wind would normally do. Um, Wind being transporting pollen from one plant to another, but they're doing it in a more efficient way. Now, only if we could all be as productive as bees, maybe we'd get a lot more done. Right. So, uh, a little more of a symbolic question. Bees, when we think of nature, are often the symbol of nature. So, in your personal experience, why do you think that bees are such a great symbol for the environment in general? That's a good question. I think it really does go back to what I was saying about um, their effect on human sustenance and the agricultural industry. I mean, these bees, um, these animals are the backbone of the environment, basically. I mean, (laughs) and to put it into modern words, the the bees crawled so that the environment could run, you know? Um, And like I said before, you just, you cannot overstate their importance to the environment and um that that's just really simply why they're so important is because if it weren't for them crops plants if you think of any plant in your backyard it wouldn't be able to exist without bees and that's just so dark and poetic um but it's it's the reality and that's why they're just so important to the environment. 
that's why they're stewards of the environment too. So unfortunately, we are seeing a decrease in bee populations. And for all the reasons that you've mentioned, we really cannot afford that, both economically and environmentally. So what, how are some of the ways that humans are affecting the bee population in a negative manner? All right, so first and foremost, um, have you ever heard of colony collapse disorder? I have not. So colony collapse disorder, um, is this phenomenon in which uh, the worker bees in a hive, or in a colony rather, simply pack up and leave. They leave the queen with uh, honey, with pollen, and with the young to take care of. And so they just pick up and they leave. Uh, and this has been um, a big reason why bee populations have been declining over years. Um, and scientists aren't entirely sure why colony collapse disorder is happening, but there's some really good hypotheses and, and um, just, to, just to name a few, uh, there are these mites called Varroa mites that, uh, you know, infiltrate hives. They're kind of like, um, I don't want to say like they're diseases, but they can be transferred from hive to hive. So if a hive is infected with these varroa mites and one bee from that hive that might have uh, a mite attached to it flies to another hive, it can then infect that hive with more mites. And so uh, that's one reason. Another big reason is pesticides uh, and more specifically insecticides because fungicides and herbicides don't have that much of an impact on bees, but insecticides uh, definitely are a big reason uh, why bee populations are going down. And you don't really understand the extent of use of insecticides and pesticides overall until you sit down and you think about it. A golf course is full of pesticides, a, a, a nicely tailored lawn full of pesticides. And if there happens to be uh, a plant or let's say a dandelion on uh, this golf course and a bee lands on it, chances are that bee's probably gonna die if it's covered in insecticide. And that's a, that's a huge reason uh, why colony collapse disorder is such a problem. And ultimately the reason why bee populations are dwindling. Not to mention climate change is also a big, big issue right climate change is always out to get us um it's it's always the reason why yeah. <laughs> so you spoke about different types of you know insecticides and pesticides that we love our lovely lawns we love our golf courses i myself live on a golf course so as much as i oh, appreciate nice. the lovely tailored lawn it's not exactly the best for everyone involved exactly now Obviously, humans have completely taken over every habitat possible to us. Would you say that habitat loss and the reduction of possible flowering areas are also contributing to bee population dwindling? Oh, it's absolutely contributing to bee populations dwindling. And if you just think about it logically, if you graze um, forest or a land that is very rich in biodiversity, the bees just have that much less land to pollinate and to sustain, and to sustain themselves on. It's, it's quite logical. And when you have these nicely tailored lawns and these golf courses um, that not only are full of pesticides, but provide almost no source of nutrition for these bees. And so if you're replacing a big, beautiful garden with, you know, a nice white picket fence and a, a nicely cut lawn, you're taking away uh, these bees's, uh, I think that's the term, bees's uh, <laughs> source of sustenance. It, it, it's, it's really quite that simple. So we know of all these terrible things that humans are doing or have an effect on on bees. Are there any laws or regulations that you know of that protect these creatures or does that just not exist? So it's really interesting you bring up laws and regulations. Um, I was actually just looking 
at the New Jersey legislature's uh, sort of registrar of bills that have been introduced in previous years. And a majority of them have never left committee. You know, there have been laws that uh, have been proposed that protect um, suburban beekeepers that make, for example, uh, theft of a hive um, would impose a pecuniary uh, punishments like you'd have to pay pay up um, there have been bills introduced to make uh, this this or that be uh, the state insect but there really hasn't been any sort of substantive uh, act of protection at least in, not in the state of New Jersey I, if anything it's the exact opposite in 2018 uh, the New Jersey Department of Agriculture which is technically tasked in overseeing um, uh, local beekeepers in the state of New Jersey, they proposed a pretty, in my opinion, onerous regulations that put uh, a damper on local beekeeping. I mean, um, the proposed regulations, if, if they had gone into effect, they actually didn't, it would have decreased the amount of hives someone can have um, to only two, two hives. Uh, if you if your property is between a quarter acre and five acres, and you know we all live in the state of New Jersey here, you know that no one in this area, in the suburban area, has five acres of land. That's that's unheard of for someone to have five acres of land. Absolutely. And right, and so that really, in that case, they're saying well. If you want to be an effective beekeeper and you want to have more than two hives, well, you better go out west, go out somewhere in rural New Jersey and, you know, get a more than five acre property, which really is a lot to ask for people who just want to do their part in helping protect the environment. And if anything, going back to what I said, these laws and regulations in the state of New Jersey are discouraging people. It's disincentivizing people to have hives um, in the state of New Jersey and, and to be suburban beekeepers. Luckily, these regulations didn't go into effect. It's still, uh, the current law, I believe, is still, you can have up to four hives and one nucleus hive on five acres of land, up to five acres of land, um, which is exactly what I have in East Rutherford and what we also have in Princeton. Um, but you know, it, it just goes to show how little they care about bees. And this, this goes into something that I think is a big issue, and it's it's performative justice. And, you know, we've been hearing that term performative justice being um, tossed around recently due to current events. Right. Present in the environmental movement as well. And you have people... Uh, who run for office on a platform environmentalism saying, well, climate change, this, climate change, that, it's the crisis of our generation, which is, you know, absolutely right. And then they go into office, they run for office, they win, they, you know, become an assemblyman or uh, a senator, uh, a representative, a United States senator, whatever. And then they don't live up to what they said they were going to do on the campaign trail. If anything, they they take, they take a step back and they're regressive in their policies affecting the environment. So it's, it's a huge issue nowadays that, you know, how many people in power really care about not just beekeeping, but the environment in general. Right, and I think it's very important that we make clear that our vote, not to get a little too political, but our vote is our voice in terms of these matters. So it's very important to vote according to what you believe in, especially when it comes to policies that could affect us for the next decade to up to a century, especially for our generation. Absolutely. And and I'll, I'll even add on to that, that voting isn't the only way to have your voice heard. I mean, these people who uh, who are in power, who run for elected office and win, they're public servants, first and foremost. And if you are their constituents and you want to do your part in making sure that the bee population is uh, up and coming, 
that the environment is being protected, call their office, call your assembly person, call your state senator, call your congressman, etc. Because they have to report to you as a, as you, as their constituents. And so the ballot box is not the only place to make your voice be heard. It's quite as, it's quite as easy as sending an email or calling their office and badgering them saying that this is an issue that needs to be solved, solve it. Um, so you were saying that people suggested a lot of regulation stuff here in New Jersey to pull back on beekeeping in general. Do you think that's because a lot of people don't know and aren't educated enough about the importance of bees? I think that's definitely possible. I mean, just look at um, how many people around you know, the state of New Jersey, around the United States, are really fully informed about environmental affairs. If you, if you took a survey and you gave them a short quiz about anything environmental, I, I would guarantee you that very few would actually pass or do well. And so part of an issue is a lack of environmental consciousness to begin with, and even more so a lack of understanding of just the importance of bees. You know, I think the people uh, just think of bees as these creatures that go around and sting you, blah, 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 uh, but don't understand just how complex uh, the relationship and the interaction between bees and humans actually is. All right. So, Chris, do you think that schools should focus on educating students on the importance of bees and their contribution to the ecosystem around us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yes. Right. And, and of course, it, it should it should be part of a, a larger conversation and the, a greater curriculum around environmentalism, because right now uh, the environmentalism or environmental curriculum in the state of New Jersey is really lacking. Um, I mean, there have been some good strides with with the addition of climate change education being added to the state curriculum. Um, but first and foremost, education and uh, environment in general has to be a bigger conversation in schools. But within that conversation, there also needs to be uh, a real conversation around bees as well. Right, and I remember freshman year of high school where we spent, I think, a total of nine classes on ecology as an entire unit, and we never spoke of it ever again. So I think that just right. speaks to how environmental education is not prized as, for example, cellular biology or biochemical reactions are as a unit in K through 12 education. Right, and Venetia, we've, we've both seen from our work on the New Jersey Commission on Environmental Education, just how important but lacking it is, especially in the state of New Jersey. Exactly. So here's a odd question, and as depressing as it might sound, the way we're headed, we might actually be at that point in the near future. Let's say honeybees go extinct, and we have no way to revive them. Are there any other species, whether they're another species of bees or animals, that could help with pollination efforts? It's really funny that you talk about that because it reminds me of, it sounds like something from Black Mirror, which it literally is. I'm pretty sure there was one episode in which they had to create like robot bees to pollinate. I don't know, I don't watch Black Mirror. <laughs> but, um, uh, it, it sounds like you, like you're saying, it sounds very dystopian because it is. And I don't, I'm not confident that humans would be able to domesticate uh, any sort of other pollinator to, as a replacement for, for honeybees. I, I just don't think it's possible. There are some things that nature does best and we just can't mess with them. Absolutely. So even if, okay, we're still going off of this whole, let's say honeybees go extinct thing. You don't think that somewhere in this dystopian future that maybe humans could replicate the process of bees pollinating? I mean, it's absolutely possible. I mean, back to the example I just said, that that one Black Mirror episode where they created the robot bees for I. But, you know, do we really have to get to that point? This is an issue that I have with American culture in general. It's that we 
we operate on a reactionary principle instead of precautionary principle and that we if we if something bad goes wrong if something uh goes wrong it's, and so we're in a bad situation we tend to prefer uh to react to uh that bad situation rather than preventing it uh, on a precautionary level in the first place and so this conversation really shouldn't be happening because we should be doing everything we can right now to preventing that from ever getting there and the, the fact that we're talking about it anyway is very scary Right, and this mm-hmm. actually reminded me of a social media post I saw not too long ago where people were showing how if we do nothing about climate change and the environment in general, then all life will die. And even if you believe that climate change is a hoax, then even if we do everything we possibly can, you're living in a beautiful planet in a beautiful world. So why wouldn't you do something about it to begin with? Absolutely. I- I, and that's an, that's also an issue that a lot of people have is that they view the earth as a cash cow. They think, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of natural gas and oil uh, stocked up under the ground. So why don't we just extract that and make a lot of money, even though maybe in the future uh, my kids won't have an earth to look at. And so it goes back to the entire reactionary versus precautionary principle is that we we want to invest in the now instead of an uncertain future and that's just it's just not it it's it, it's a huge cultural issue can't agree with you more on that one oh. so if we think about bees and what they provide to us obviously we think of honey but what other products could we see having bee products that we should be mindful of when we consume them and when we go out to buy them? That's a really good question. And uh, one of the simplest ways to do that and to be mindful of uh, bee products is first and foremost, don't buy honey from the superstore, from from your supermarket, your Sam's Club, Walmart. Don't buy honey from there because very simply, the honey that comes in these big box stores isn't really real honey. You know, these these are bees that um, produce honey under stressful conditions. There are thousands of hives um, that are producing honey, and then that honey is then mixed with uh, a cheaper, lower grade uh, sugar solution. So, the best way to support beekeeping as a practice and as uh, a means of protecting the environment is to buy honey and buy products from your local beekeepers. And this is where I will plug the New Jersey Beekeepers Association. If you look up on their website, there's a tab that says honey and hive products and a list of um, well-known beekeepers around the state of New Jersey where you can actually, as it implies, you, where you can buy honey and uh, hive products from them. And this is a great way to not only support the practice, but to support the bees as well. Because extracting honey um, is is beneficial to the hive, uh, in addition to beneficial to us, because there are a lot of uh, health benefits to consuming honey. So first of all, buy local honey. Second of all, when you're reaching out to local beekeepers, see what other products they have. Uh, I know me personally, we not only deal with honey, we, we extract honey and we bottle it, but we also make uh, wax products. Uh, we make lip balms, uh, candles from the wax you collect from the beehives. And some beekeepers also collect pollen. Like I said before, uh, bees are basically a magnet for pollen. And when they bring it back to the hive, uh, there's a, a sort of Uh, I don't know how to do it because I don't do it, but there's a way to extract that pollen. And that's great for people with seasonal allergies uh, to to eat the pollen with yogurt or whatever. Um, But there are just so many ways to support beekeeping. But the the best way to do it is to support your local beekeepers. So as we talk about the impending flu season, and of course we are in the middle of a pandemic, 
Chris, can you tell us more about the antibacterial and health benefits of locally sourced honey from your local beekeepers and of course honeys, and of course bees that are not under duress? Absolutely, that's a really good point. I do wanna stress in your question, the phrase locally sourced, because that's really important to this point. When someone is entering allergy season, whether it's in the fall or the spring, you're exposed to the myriad of uh, pollen-producing plants that are causing you these ailments, right? Right. And locally sourced honey is produced uh, by bees visiting these very plants that are causing you these ailments. And so when you consume honey and you consume the pollen from local beehives, it's basically giving you kind of like a flu shot um, it's giving you an added level of protection from these allergens. So it's introducing your body to these allergens before they have the chance to uh, making you a sneezing and coughing mess. So it's really a great way to uh, get ahead of, to, to kind of, you know, cheat code nature and to get around allergies or to at least mitigate uh, the symptoms of allergies locally sourced honey and pollen is a great way to minimize that. And not to mention the benefits that honey has as a sugar supplement. So um, if you look at a lot of what humans are consuming now, um, granulated sugar or even high fructose corn syrup, uh, when you digest it, it leaves a sort of residue in your digestive system, which is kind of gross to think about, uh, but it's true. Honey does not have that same effect. Honey actually goes through your system very cleanly and it doesn't leave the same residue that, uh, you know, uh, manufactured sugar or high fructose corn syrup has. So it, it's really like nature's best sweetener, in my opinion. Right. And obviously, I don't know about you, but I prefer my honey in tea and also baked goods. So, right. Yeah. Okay. So a big reason that a lot of people are afraid of bees and this entire time you've been saying that there's no reason to be afraid of them, but a big reason that everyone's afraid of them is because of bee stings. You hear about all the time, someone going, oh my God, I just got stung by a bee. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about how bee stings work? Right. So very simply, um, a bee sting is the main force uh, or the main defense mechanism, I should say, of a bee. It's really their last resource and they're the only sting if they absolutely have to. Because um, something that a lot of people actually know is that a bee stinger is connected to its digestive system. And because the stinger is barbed, when it stings a person or even another animal, for example, uh, because the stinger is barbed, the bee will try to fly away, but the stinger will stay in the person or in the animal, and it will therefore rip out the bee's entire digestive system. And so bees really only use that as a last resort and a last line of defense. So the bee does not want to sting you, right? Um, but if it does occur that a bee stings you, as I've mentioned before, unless you go into anaphylactic shock, you're not going to feel anything more than maybe a few minutes of pain. Um, the, the first thing you should do is obviously take out the stinger because that's where the venom is. Um, but, you know, by the time you've been stung, the venom is already in you and that's what kind of causes the itchiness and the momentary pain. But it's not going to cause you any long-term harm nothing nothing longer than like a 10 or 20 minutes i mean i actually just got stung for the first time last year after two years of beekeeping i felt so betrayed <laughs> um, literally i felt so betrayed by my own bees and i was actually at the princeton beehive um in forbes garden and i had maybe half of an inch of a gap in my bee suit and two bees flew in there 
and one stung me on my neck and one stung me in my nostril. Ooh. Ooh. And I was, I thought I was going to go crazy. Also because like you have two bees in a closed area with your face. So you're kind of scared. Yeah, that's probably not um, very pleasant. It, no, it was not pleasant at all. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and then I looked up. I was like, okay, I'm just curious. What are the most painful places to be stung? Of course, the first and second spot on the list, your neck and in your nostril. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure you're but laughing about it now, as we are, but that does not sound like a great time to be having. Oh, no. In the moment, I was not laughing, trust me. Um, but, but then I realized, I was like, well, if that's really the worst of it, then it's not that bad. You know? Fortunately, I am not allergic to bee stings. I did, my throat my throat didn't close up, and I didn't die, obviously. Um, and that's the case for most people. Now, if you do have uh, an anaphylactic response to a bee sting, and that's why I, I always urge uh, caution with people who do have those allergies to always carry an EpiPen with you in the case that you know you do get stung but if you're not allergic take the barb out take uh what's that called um that little pink pill for allergies benadryl take benadryl go to sleep for an hour and you'll be fine it's it's not a big deal i mean luckily i've never been stung but knock on wood (laughs) yeah when she walks outside she's gonna get stung by a bee (laughs) oh come on i have to go bring my basil plant inside don't don't tell me that now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, we've been saying you're not to be supposed to be scared of bees, Venetia. Okay, well, I don't know if I'm allergic to them, so that's probably not a very good thing. Well, now you can take what you've learned into account if you do get stung by a bee, which you hopefully don't, but... Hopefully not. <laughs> right, Okay. Um... I don't know, is there anything else you want to talk about before we talk about, um, like, anything, how to protect bees, or... No, I think I think this would be a good transition into what you can actually do to help them. All right. Okay, so this entire time we're talking about the importance of bees and how people are scared of them. And of course, because we're scared of them, we are decreasing their population. And we don't want that to happen. We don't want this that dystopian world where there are no bees, albeit it is a bit crazy and nonsensical. How can right. we do our part to protect the bee community? So I would say first and foremost, um, just to get comfortable with them. That's the simplest thing you can do right now. Um, I actually did a research project two years ago uh, with the Princeton Beehive actually. Um, and I surveyed people who were afraid of bees and I then took them to the beehives after 10 minutes of interaction, I surveyed them again on their uh, their comfort levels around bees. And I saw that, you know, even just educating people about how bees are our friends, not our enemies, and teaching them how to be comfortable around bees really improved their perception of this, in, this amazing species. So first, absolutely get more comfortable with them. If you see a bee buzzing around you, try not to swat it. Try just to sit still see what it does and you'll see that it'll fly around you for about two seconds and then it'll fly away so get comfortable uh some more other some other things you can do if you have a green thumb it definitely helps to plant uh a bee friendly garden and you know friendly for pollinators in general and there are some simple uh plants like sage lavender um you know, the list goes on and on. You can look it up online, but these are really uh, high nectar, high pollen producing plants that bees love. And you will attract a lot of bees to your yard, which seems scary for some people, but I think it's actually a beautiful sight. And it's, if you don't want to become a beekeeper and you just want to support, you know, your local bees, that's a great way to do it, to, to plant a bee-friendly garden. Um, and if you're like Venetia's uh, example of living near a golf course, if you do find your pesticides or um, different herbicides, insecticides, try to limit or completely eliminate it from your usage. I mean, th- it's really not all that necessary um, for maintaining a lawn, 
you may think it is, but it, it's really not. And it's doing more harm to bees than it is providing you a benefit. So that's a great way to help out bees. Just completely eliminate your use of pesticides. Um, uh, another surprisingly easy way to do it is have a bird bath. I mean, bees go cr- absolutely insane for dirty water. <laughs> and I don't know why that is, but they will not touch clean water. If you have a bucket of regular clean tap water, they won't go near it, but they will go to uh, a puddle and a pothole. They will go to a bird bath and they will have the time of their lives. So even putting out a bird bath in your yard, that's, it produces, um, or it serves as a way to provide um, bees, your local bees, with a source of water. And especially if you're in a place um, where there isn't much uh, flowing water, if you're not near a river or a lake, um, the bees really do have, or, or they lack a source of water. And so having this bird bath is not only good for the birds, but it's great for the bees as well. And lastly, you know, jumping off of the points of getting comfortable with them, it's not enough to just be aware of the issue. I think you should also want to do something about it. And doing something about it, you know, a bird bath, planting your garden, that's great, but you should also be speaking out. Uh, we, We talked extensively before about the role of legislators and uh, public officials in protecting bees and how there really isn't much of, of a movement or, or uh, a pretty much of a movement around protecting bees. And if you really want to get involved and start a local conversation around this really important topic, the best way to do it is speak up, you know, call your legislators, uh, attend your town council meetings and say, well, we should adopt a resolution that makes a a bee-friendly town. Uh, There are a few towns that actually do that. I think Ridgewood, New Jersey is a great example of that. It's a, they passed a resolution that makes them a bee-friendly town. And I think that everyone in all of the 500-some municipalities in New Jersey should be doing that. You know, there should not be one municipality in New Jersey that isn't bee-friendly. And that's a step that we all need to take and do our own part in. Right. And on that point, Monroe has a community garden and the community garden really does try to be as environmentally friendly as possible. So recently we've established a butterfly garden and we're working on rain barrels. So I really do think that the next step would be making sure that while we do have a butterfly garden, we also have bee friendly plants within that area. Absolutely. That's a great example. So Chris, thank you for being here. Are there any closing resources and thoughts that you have on the importance of bees? You know, I think we covered a lot of it, Venetia, but to recap, um, you know, bees are just so important, to put it simply, so important to the human population, even more so than people really realize. And doing your part and something as simple as uh, supporting local beekeepers or planting a bee-friendly garden, having a, uh, a bird bath and calling your legislators, small steps add up. Small actions add up and they matter. And so doing your part in any way matters. And I do want to give you some a few resources that have been really helpful in my journey as a beekeeper and uh, by being an activist uh, and raising awareness about uh, bee populations to other people is first the New Jersey Beekeepers Association. This is a great association that's been uh, a wonderful help to to my practices. Uh, their website is njbeekeepers.org. You can also just look up a New Jersey Beekeepers Association online and you'll find it. Uh, Second, we also have the Princeton Bee Team. You know, if you, you can find us on Facebook, uh, we do post some updates about our hives, um, but it, it's really a way to show the community, not just in Princeton, but New Jersey statewide, that there are young people who care about this. And, you know, 
we need to coalesce and get something done. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. We truly appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with Chris, he's on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at Chris Lewa. We'll also be adding his social media and the resources that he mentioned today in our show notes. And that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Every Action Counts podcast. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love for you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend about us. Be sure to visit our website at tinyurl.com slash mthsnjeac for today's show notes and links to the studies we talked about in this episode. For updates on what our club is up to, follow us on Instagram at mthsnjeac. Remember, every action counts.